meditation often gets associated with a uh, complete stopping of thinking. Many of us have a very active thinking minds and some, sometimes when we hear or see, read meditations about quietness of mind, stopping the thought process, that can be very attractive. Oh my goodness, what a nice idea, quiet uh, in, the, the, in the mind. That's very appealing, very attractive. But it's also, I feel, uh, based on a misunderstanding or mis misreading of the teachings. In Buddhist psychology, thought is an another sense object. The eye perceives light, the ears perceive sound, tongue perceives flavors, the nose perceives odors, the body perceives sensations, and the mind perceives thoughts. It's the sixth of the six senses. Uh, chaku and Rupa, Sota and Sada, and so on, Mano and Dhamma. So the mind perceives thoughts. So we shouldn't feel that meditation necessarily involves a complete absence of thinking, just like it doesn't involve a complete absence of sight or physical sensation or sound. It's just another sanya, another perception. Thinking becomes oppressive and problematic when it, it won't stop. It's just an endless inner chatter. Then it's understandable that we'd like it to go quiet, but it's going too far. It's a mistake to think that any kind of mental activity, any kind of thinking is some kind of kilesa, defilement, or a burden, or intrinsically uh, unsatisfactory. It's just sanya, it's just a perception, that's all. Just like a feeling in the body, or a sound of the, the fans, uh, the aircon, the ringing of the crickets, it's just sanya, chuchui. No need to make anything out of it. So as the retreat progresses and the mind gets quieter, uh, for many of you talking in the interviews, uh, there's a, a lot of experience of, of inner quietness, that mental chatter uh, becoming much more still, much less uh, busyness in the realm of thought. The mind able to focus in the present and be quite peaceful, spacious. The essential work of, of insight meditation, vipassana, is applying the reflections on anicca, dukkha, anatta to all experience, to every, every thought, every emotion, every sound, every sensation, every visual form that we experience. to reflect upon the changing, unsatisfactory, and selfless nature of, of all experience, 
And then to see the change of heart that occurs when that recognition, that uh, say, that seeing the empty nature of all perception, all experience is actualized. When there's the insight of, oh, it's not self. Oh, it's not really a me that is the experiencer, the doer, the meditator. Oh, look at that. So the essential work of insight meditation is very, uh, is the main task or the main work. And supporting that, we can also cultivate the quality of wise reflection. Yoniso Manasikara, Dhamma Vijaya, these have the same meanings. Tanajantyu was uh, talking about this um, and uh, giving some guidance on this area. But I feel it's helpful to deepen the understanding, the appreciation. So when the mind is very quiet, very peaceful, very still, it's like having uh, a, a large room like this. It's tidy, it's clean, spacious. We can just sit there and snooze, just sort of switch off and enjoy the quietness in a kind of uh, passive way. Just uh, appreciating the the contented, happy feeling. But it's in a way not using the space of the mind to the best effect. Like if this, if this hall here was kept clean and tidy and well maintained, but nobody ever came in here, yes, then wouldn't be much use, wouldn't serve a very good purpose. So we come in here and we practice meditation, we uh, chant, we listen to Dhamma teachings. Yeah. We use the space in an active, creative, dynamic way. The space of our mind can be used in exactly the same fashion. So when the mind is, is quiet, it, there's a sense of openness, spaciousness, peacefulness, then we can use that space to explore uh, different things. If there's a particular issue in your life, there's a conflict or an obsession, something that you're addicted to, something that you're, you're worried about, something that you're, uh, you're irritated by, there's a lot of aversion, negativity. We can take these, these habits, these say, aspects of our life, and use that space to explore, like a laboratory like a, with a workbench. Get the, get the issue onto the bench and open it up. See what's inside, see how it works. Now, wise reflection, pijarana in Thai, or yoniso manasikara, dhamma vijaya in Pali, is a way of exploring. Why am I so attracted to this? Or why am I so irritated by that? Why does this make me so frightened? Why does that person always seem so, so wrong? 
not to cr create more chattering mental activity, but to use the pattern recognition faculty of, of wisdom, investigation, to explore. What is behind this? How does this work? Is it always there? I tell myself I'm always frightened or I'm always irritated, I'm always complaining. Is that so? I tell myself that story, but is it the fact? So with wise reflection, investigation, it doesn't have to involve conceptual thought. The faculty of recognizing patterns and seeing cause and effect, how things relate to each other. It doesn't have to involve our thinking mind. Numpo Chao would make this point. He would say, Pijarana, contemplation, doesn't have a useful tool in that reflective, contemplative process. The word temple in English comes from the Latin word templum. And a templum was an area marked out on the ground or in the sky that the, um, the astrologers or the, the modu, the kind of spirit uh, readers, would watch what the animals or the birds would do, and they would make predictions, or they would assess a situation. Say, war is coming, but we should avoid it. Or, oh, it's going to be a dry year this year. Or, oh, there's going to be big floods. Uh, we should be afraid of fire, these kind of things. So the templum was a designated area that the, the soothsayers, the, uh, the astrologers, the, the nyani, they would watch and look, and they would read the patterns to develop a deeper sense of what's happening, what's at work here. So the building of a temple is, in a way, a structure around that space. But a templum itself is like exactly what we mean by contemplation, being in the temple or attending to the temple. We make a defined area in the mind to look at that particular issue, creating a, a boundary, a cape. Okay, for this period of time, I'll look at why there's an angry reaction to that family member or why success in the workplace seems so important, or why I'm always worried about what people think of me. So you define a boundary. Okay, let's look at this particular issue. What makes it contemplation is staying within the boundary, exploring how that faculty works, staying with the subject, not just getting lost and carried away and drifting here and there. Sometimes when a particular area is looked at, like, why is the mind so upset by that or so excited by that? Or why does it keep calling this good when it has such painful results? Where does that come from? What's that about? Sometimes there might be an immediate intuitive sense in the heart. Oh, 
I think it comes from the fact that, yeah, my father died when I was a little child, or the fact that I was uh, a failure at school, or I was so successful at school. That an immediate association might pop up. Oh, that feels like it's connected. Other times, nothing arises. It's the Ananya Tanya Samitindriya. Where does this come from? No idea. Not a clue. If that's the case, then leave it alone. Oh, look at that. It's a strong presence in this life, but where it comes from, how it works, not a clue. No idea. So we can use the quiet, spacious, alert mind as a templum, as a an area, a, a defined area in which to contemplate, to explore, to investigate these particular issues within our character, our life. It can also be used to explore particular aspects of the teaching. So many years ago, 1988, 89, 1990, three or four, for three or four years during the winter retreat time at Amaravati, Lumpur Sumato used the, those two or three month periods just to reflect upon Paticca Samutabhat, dependent origination. After the Sangha had been sitting for two or three weeks and people were calm and quiet, he wouldn't let us just sit there and enjoy the, the, the sunbathing, as it were. But he would say, don't just sit there being happy. <laughs> Use your mind. And he would encourage the exact kind of contemplation. And he would take a section of the dependent origination cycle avicca, pachaya, sankara, ignorance, conditions, formations. And for two or three weeks, he would just talk about avicca, pachaya, sankara, raising it up, helping us to explore the meaning of the individual words, getting a feeling for how they relate to each other, really contemplating, looking in, seeing what's understandable, what's not understandable. So he would take the different sections of that whole 12 link process of 12 linked factors. Tanna upadana bhava, craving, clinging, becoming. Or how does feeling condition craving? Vedana pachaya tanha, how does that work? Why does it do that? So we can also use the quiet, spacious brightness of the mind to explore aspects of the Dhamma teachings, things that we know are important or significant, but there's not a, a real feeling for them, not an understanding. Again, sometimes when you bring the attention to a particular area, there might be an intuitive sense immediately. Oh, feeling conditions craving because of the mind's attachments, its habits, because of not seeing clearly, because of ignorance. Begins with ignorance, so when a feeling arises, of course, 
pleasant feeling leads to I want it. Painful feeling leads to I hate it. Aha, if there isn't ignorance, if there's vicha instead of avicha, when there's a feeling, doesn't work in the same way. It's just pleasant feeling. That's it. Painful feeling. That's it. The mind doesn't add anything to it. Aha. Look at that. So sometimes in that kind of contemplative process can make things very clear and change the attitude, change the habits. Other times it can be mysterious. The Ananya Tanya Samitindriya. What actually does Sankara mean? And Sankara Pachaya Vijnana, how on earth does whatever Sankara is condition whatever Vijnana is? Okay, in this moment that's unclear, just if that's the case. So, it's mysterious. What do those words mean? What do they refer to? What's the experience here? that is being pointed to by the word sankhara or vijnana. What is this? So again, not leading to just mental proliferation, prapancha, brungdang, but exploring, investigating. And when things are mysterious, like with uh, the first introduction I had to Paticca Samupada, most of it was completely mysterious. I could understand feeling, condition, craving, and conditioning, craving, but the rest was like, Oof, I haven't got a clue what this is about. So that process over three or four years led by Lumpur Sumato was so helpful, both to understand dependent origination a bit better, but also to learn how to use pijarana, the faculty of wise reflection as that is one of the the three is the third one of the the four factors supportive of stream entry yoni so manasikara wise reflection is a direct support for stream entry for that quality of the first stage of liberation So as the meditation uh, proceeds, as we spend our hours and days together, this is one use that the, the bright and quiet mind can be put to. Sometimes people then ask the question, well, okay, but what is the difference between wise reflection and just thinking, thinking, thinking? Well, when it's the, the prungdang, the, just the conceptual proliferation, the mind kind of thinks without, without much of a gap. And we think in half-formed sentences, just one thought chasing after another. When the process is that of wise reflection, yoni so manasikara, dhamma vijaya, then, if there is conceptual thought being used, we think in whole sentences. Where does this come from? 
the mind is easily excited by this kind of a, a smell, this kind of taste. Where does that come from? Pause. So with wise reflection, there's a spaciousness. You think in whole sentences, and there's a spacious quality. There's the silence of the mind, then bringing in a question or a, a statement. I tell myself I'm always anxious. Is that really true? Pause. So there's a, a spacious, measured quality to wise reflection that's not there when it's just mental chatter. So it has a completely different tone. So rather than just a kind of uh, a chaos of, you know, one half formed thought chasing after another, there's spaciousness, balance. There's a, a quality of coherence. Things are well-ordered. There's a lot of silence in the process of contemplation. Now, if we make the intention to investigate some aspect of the teaching or some aspect of our character, our life, and we start out with the idea of wise reflection, but then within two or three minutes, it's just think, think, thinking, 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 the, the uh, conceptual proliferation, the papancha mill has started up. Notice that. Well, this is no longer wise reflection. This is uh, vipassa papancha. This is not helpful. So I, there was the intention to practice wise reflection, but it's changed into just random mental chatter. Okay, stop, let go, bring the attention back to the body, to the breath. Re-establish the posture, re-establish the quality of inner quietness and settledness. And then, if it seems suitable, go back to the contemplation once again. Say, oh, why did the mind get carried away, get lost in that? Hmm. You know, what was the cause of that, that distraction? Where did that come from? So we can use this reflective process to help support the quality of, of wisdom understanding the cause and effect relationship because of this cause there's this effect this is the, the origin this is the result aha and it's through understanding cause and effect seeing how one thing relates to another that's the supportive practice for upeka serenity which in turn is a supportive quality for insight, for true wisdom. Seeing clearly how the world works, how nature operates, the heart lets go, stops identifying with those patterns, those forms. This is the cause, this is the effect. It's not a person, it doesn't belong to a person. It's not me or mine. It's just nature following its own laws. That's all. 
Uh, with the the development of wise reflection, it's also good to consider that the fundamental reality of things can't be contained in words. So if you've got a very intelligent mind that likes to figure everything out and have explanations for everything, any kind of conceptual structure, any kind of naming or description, it can only be an approximation, a convenient fiction, a best guess. Words and concepts can't really contain the reality. So rather than trying to explain everything or understand everything conceptually, we use concepts, language, to help the heart to arrive at the quality of a peaceful awareness. Not trying to explain everything, conceptually package everything, but rather to use those thoughts as tools, as the Buddha said, like a raft that helps the, the heart to cross from the dangerous place to the safe place. That's what the words and concepts are for, the Dhamma teachings. They're just a raft, not to be carried around. Any kind of conception, any thought, any words. As I was saying, yena yena himanyanti tatotangholti anyatati. Whatever it is conceived to be, the truth is always other than that. Words and concepts don't have enough dimensions to embody the reality. They can point to ways that reality can be known, can be actualized, realized, but words can't fully and completely represent that reality. They can point the way. But it's only the heart that can know its own nature. And that knowing is wordless, non-conceptual, immediate. 